Welcome to the other party, got that vibe Well, you know we getting lit and come alive And you know we got that light so we gon' shine And we talking to the fans, it's the time, yeah Hey, it's Chris, and welcome to the after party. I know, I know, I know, I missed last week, and I apologize, but I don't, because you guys know the drill, still moving. But that also means moving forward. So every time that I miss a, a week on the podcast, I'm doing something else that's getting me set up for the future. And that means like me personally, but also means for the business, for the content. Let's kick things off this week by just talking a little bit about the process that went into producing the latest video on the channel, which is uh, another iPad-related apps video, the apps that make the iPad Pro worth owning, volume three, version three, episode three. I spent a little bit of extra time making this particular video because I knew that the last two both did about a million views. Uh, the first one's a little over a million, the next one is gonna hit a million, it's just a little bit under right now. So I wanted to make it special, I wanted to make it good. One thing that I'm learning about YouTube is that information almost always trumps visuals. And so I could have presented the apps that I presented, which I stored up, and I'll talk about you know finding those apps in just a second. And you know, just with one camera angle, and the same you know, voiceover and everything, and it probably would have been just as popular, but I went to the extra trouble of setting up several camera angles, um, doing a, a bit of a location shoot, of course, fully masked, as you'll see in one of the sections of the video. We'll start all the way back at the beginning, from, from square one, if you're wondering, how does Chris go about putting together a popular video like this? Um, and I think this would be interesting if you're a content creator and you're wondering about creating content, or if you're just a viewer and you're like, you know, what's the behind the scenes for how this stuff gets created? Well, I don't sit there, you know, like the day before the video and say, okay, I should make another iPad Pro apps video and do some research and say, you know, Google search, what are the best apps out there? And then pick some and just make a list and then start shooting. That's not how it works. Uh, I pride myself in being a, a curator of things. I've pretty much built a career on curating stuff. So what I do is, organically, just naturally, when I run into something really great, I save it and I tag it. I do that with drafts. I think I've explained that several different times. And then when it comes time to do something with it, I've just got it in the holster, so to speak. It's ready to go. So for this particular video, and actually for the iPhone apps video that I also did recently, I did something a little bit different. I, I curated my own curation. And what I mean by that is I tag stuff and save stuff like normal, and it takes, you know, several months for uh, you know, even a handful of apps, like five apps, to build up to the point where I'm like, this is a group that I want to share, that I'm excited about sharing because I think it's good enough, it'll be high impact for people. You know, I have to be excited about it before I can present it. I've done that before, where I've presented an app that I wasn't super excited about, and then it just, it doesn't come through in the video very good when that happens. So, so it takes a few months, and then in the meantime, you guys know I'm building applehype.com, on the side, what I did was I went through Notion where I store all of my Apple Hype stuff from day to day. It's sort of my backup database of the daily Apple Hype finds and recommendations. And I've been going through there, which is already like the best apps that I can find. And I go back through and I pick out, you know, iPhone or iPad stuff. And then I make a video now based on that. So it's really like two levels deep of curation. And then what I do is I stick that into an outline and I start thinking about what I want to say. I really try not to just heavily script stuff these days. I try to keep some spontaneity in there 
because for me, if I sit there, I don't use a teleprompter for one thing. I just kind of go off of an outline. I'll stick up either either on my iPhone, I'll reference it, or you know, put the iPad Pro on the desk or something out of the view of the camera so I can just look at it and just have a rough outline or idea of what do I actually want to say. And one thing that I really pay attention to is the order of the apps that I feature. So I try to stick something really interesting, maybe the key app of the group at the beginning. And in this case, that was Endless Paper for the iPad Pro. Was really impressed with this app. I'm getting a lot of feedback that people really like that. And then it's just, it's kind of like a musician who has a set of songs that they're gonna perform at the concert. I go through and I say, well, what would be a good follow-up and what would keep people engaged? Uh, even though I do provide the timestamps, you know, the, the contents, if you will, the chapters that you can skip around, um, I do try to, if you, if you are gonna just watch it through, put it in a really good, interesting order. And then follow up at the end with something that's pretty interesting too. So I wouldn't go so far as to say it ends up being like a three-act video, you know, like a Casey Neistat style, beginning, middle, and end with a crescendo that is building up towards. It's not like that, but I do put some thought into the presentation. So anyways, then I go through and I fill out, you know, a couple extra bullet points of what I want to say for each thing and make sure I hit the highlights without going too in-depth because if it's a roundup video, I don't want to bore people. I want to keep them engaged and say enough but I like to leave a little bit so that you can go explore if something's interesting to you and still find out a few features, you know, without spilling all the beans. I feel like there's some excitement there. I wanna save some of that for you when you actually go and experience it yourself. So once I get that done, it depends. It depends on the day. Some days I can literally uh, pull off the actual production in one day. And I've talked about that several times before, but basically I can wake up, eat breakfast, you know, get ready, spend one hour with the outline, spend one hour shooting the A-roll, which is the talking head stuff, and then spend one hour uh, shooting the B-roll, which is like the product shots. And then import all that stuff over lunch, and after lunch, come back and get the edit done. I can't do that. I'm capable of doing that. I've done it a lot. Um, sometimes I'll try to spend a little extra time on a video, uh, and it depends, you know, it's hard because if you're crunched for time and you got a sponsor too that you know you can't just take forever with the video then where do you spend extra time because sometimes I'll take two days but that extra time can go into shooting extra b-roll or it can go into making the edit a little bit cooler and so it really depends as a one-man production um, you know those are kind of some of the choices that I gotta make and in this one I didn't spend a lot of time with color grading and stuff all the footage that you see is straight out of the camera I don't even think I did any color correction uh, to be honest. And you know, it still looked fine. It was good. I don't know that anyone's gonna complain or notice even. Although one thing I hate about Chrome in particular and YouTube kind of in general is that it tends to add extra red color to stuff. And so it can look good on my screen. It can look good in uh, Final Cut Pro, what I'm editing in. And then by the time I upload it, I look at my skin tones and I'm like, oh wow. It looks like I was embarrassed or something because there's so much redness in the face and it's just not there in the edit. But anyways, I didn't have time to mess with that kind of stuff this time. I just needed to get it out, get it published. And to be honest, this is like a, a key cornerstone kind of a video for me, for the channel. When I make a video like this, it's something that's going to help, you know, it's a pillar. It's a piece of pillar content. It's going to help keep the channel and the business afloat for like a quarter, probably. Um, and so, yeah, I do try to make it as good as possible. You know, I bought these extra Sony cameras three Asus 600s, and I got that new A7S 3 on the way, plus the Sony ZV-1, plus my iPhones. I have that camera set up, that group of cameras, so that I can do some multi-cam stuff, so that if I do wanna shoot a video and shoot the A-roll and B-roll all at once with a multi-cam, I can do that. 
Um, but that ends up not being, you know, that's a different kind of a video. It feels different than if you sit down, do the A-roll, and purposefully go out and get some more cinematic, good-looking B-roll to go with it. It's different when you shoot it all at the same time. And both videos can do well. Um, one obviously just takes less time, and I'm set up to do both. And I kind of try to do a balance between those two kind of videos. But anyways, once I've got all that stuff filmed, and this video actually ended up taking me three days to complete, um, now that I'm thinking about it. But once I've got that filmed, it could be either I shot the A-roll first or the B-roll first or whatever and get it edited. I do then do a separate photo shoot most of the time for the thumbnail. And I don't know if people realize that, you know, a lot of work sometimes goes into the thumbnails and more and more lately, I think for the past, maybe this whole year, I've been trying to do a, a completely separate just photo shoot. Nothing too intense, uh, but what I mean by a photo shoot is purposefully take a camera and go take some good photos that I think could be decent thumbnails and have, I don't know, 130 or something to choose from. I usually shoot like that many. Instead of just doing a screen grab or you know sharing out some frames from the actual video. Sometimes I get some frames that are worth, you know, they're thumbnail worthy. But most of the time, I'm ending up doing this separate photo shoot. So oftentimes I'll work on the thumbnail when the video is uploading. And depending on the video and where I'm at in the internet, that really can only take about 14 or 15 minutes up to maybe 30 minutes, it depends. I usually save my videos, well, I kick it over to compressor and save it in HEVC format, which is a highly compressed thing, but it lets me upload really fast, especially if I have a slower internet connection wherever I'm at. So while the video is uploading, that's when I'll work on actually making, creating the actual thumbnail. So what I do is I import those photos that I've taken into Lightroom, and then I'll go through and flag the ones that I think have the most potential. I'll look at those and I'll say, okay, I think this is the one that's gonna be the thumbnail. And in this case, I chose something that was kind of a really a minimal looking thing. It had a little bit of the plant in the background. I think you can see it over here, um, the desk and just white. And that tends to look, look and work really good on YouTube, that minimal look. And I didn't include myself in the photo. Uh, that's always good for engaging with subscribers, but the subscribers end up seeing the video, you know, for the first two days, really. And then after that, it's really more on the open market and people don't really care about my face. And, you know, so I don't mess around with too many A-B tests or anything like that. I just put it out like it's gonna be out for everybody. I know some people upload one with their face for two days and then change it out with a product after. I just do just the product, usually for this kind of a shot, and it works well for me. Uh, what I do then is once I've selected that photo, then I'll kick that over to Photoshop. I'll say edit in Photoshop. And then I'll just do some levels, maybe mess with the curves a little bit, and maybe uh, add a little bit of saturation if needed to make the colors pop, you know. But other than that, I just kind of leave it alone. If there's some crazy, you know, there's like a piece of dust or like a speck on something that's driving me nuts, I'll use the eraser or the healing brush and, and get rid of that. And that's pretty much it. It doesn't take me too much time. Um, I just do my best to clean it up and, and basically make the whites a little bit whiter, the lights and the darks maybe a little darker, and that's good to go. So then uh, I actually have a document in my Apple Notes that uh, I have a folder called Reusables, and every now and then you know I change it up, but I have a whole note saved with all my links and stuff for videos. So I'll go in and copy and paste that and kind of tailor it for each video that has all the stuff I need to link to every time. Then I go back and I go through my tags in Final Cut Pro because this saves me some time at this point. 
because um, I've already tagged, you know, every time I feature a new app or something in a video like this, what timestamp that is. Go through and put my timestamps in so you guys can skip around really nicely and easily uh, in the video. And that's it. I mean, really, I go through all the back end to publish, which is actually, it takes quite a while. There's a lot of screens before you can publish if you've never published a YouTube video in the last year. It actually seems like the process gets longer and longer all the time. But uh, then sometimes I'll do a live premiere. I've been enjoying that. It's really fun to get that immediate feedback and interact with people. And sometimes I don't. It depends how much time I have at the time. But sometimes that's like the fun part. It's like debuting it in a theater almost and getting to watch people's reaction. It's like the culmination of all your hard work is kind of paying off in that moment. You can kind of tell, are people into this, are they not? And you can really tell by how many people are in that live chat with you, how many people are watching, how good that video is really gonna go on to do, to be. Sometimes there's like 20 people chatting. I know, well, this video, you know, it's not gonna perform well over the long haul. And it's gonna kind of fizzle out and that's too bad. But I'm gonna enjoy the interaction and, and you know, the appreciation at the beginning. But then if you get you know, 200, 400, 500 people, which is kind of the top limit of what I've gotten for a live premiere, watching it once, you're like, oh, well, this is gonna probably go on to do very well. There's a lot of interest here, and I've done a good job with the thumbnail and the title, and hopefully the delivery of the content too. And so that's kind of it, the life of a YouTube video from start to finish, and how I did something like uh, the apps that are making the iPad Pro worth owning Number three, we gotta talk about the new iMac, right? Apple dropped a new iMac. It was without a lot of fanfare, and you can tell why immediately the first time you see it. The design is not new. It's got Intel chips inside, so you know we're still living in kind of the end of the old era before Apple Silicon gets into all the new machines. So this isn't the vehicle that Apple chose to debut Apple Silicon. And because of that, they also decided to hold off on the redesign, I think. They're saving that for later. But the question is, is this still a machine that's worth buying? And I don't know, there's something to the iMac. There's something to having an all-in-one machine that sits on your desk, has a big, good-sized display, you know, and lets you get work done. In a lot of ways, I think this is just your standard spec bump type of a Mac. So you've got your faster processors and graphics, more memory and storage, enhanced audio and video capabilities, and an even more stunning Retina 5K display. So based on that description, it's not gonna stun you with the new features. Although I understand, and we're gonna explore it, that there are a few interesting little perks that you're gonna get here that maybe aren't even found elsewhere in the Mac lineup. I should say too, this really is the first time that I've gone through and explored the new iMac. It's been out for two days at this point. I haven't looked at it because I was saving it for the podcast so we could kind of go through it together. But I'm seeing the pricing here for the first time. 21 and a half inch starts at just over a thousand dollars, 1099. The 27 inch, which is the one that's labeled new, is starting at 1799. All right, one thing that's very interesting here is that for the first time we've got a true tone display in an iMac. That's kind of weird. I really associate True Tone with Apple's mobile stuff, you know? So to see that on the big 27-inch iMac, that's kind of interesting. My mind wasn't expecting that, but it makes sense. And here's something else that's interesting. There's also a nano texture glass option, which helps reduce glare. So two things, uh, you can only get that True Tone technology in the 27 inch. That's not available on the 21. But that nano texture glass, that is what is really interesting to me. Oh, so the nano texture glass was first seen on the Pro Display XDR, and they're saying that this is gonna be good for workspaces with sunlight or direct light or changing light conditions. 
Basically, you want minimum glare, maximum detail. That's how they're presenting it. I definitely think there's something to this. You guys know, and some people are sick of it, and some people don't care, and they're like, oh good, I'm glad that somebody's supporting the channel, but with Paperlike, the screen, the screen protector that we feature a lot on our iPad videos, that also is a solution that helps uh, refract the light in a way that reduces glare. And I like that. Glare can be very annoying. Sometimes there's a particular chair that I sit in sometimes with my iPhone, which I don't have a screen protector on or a screen cover or anything. It's right by a window and at the right time of the day, the light comes in and reflects on it and it just kind of makes the reading and the viewing experience really suboptimal. And it's just annoying. Yeah, I can just move or whatever, but sometimes you're sitting there and the sunlight kind of moves and creeps over. And so if you have a desk that has a similar situation right by a window and the light's changing on you and you want to, well, I mean, there are certain situations where you just have to have the computer where it is in the room. That's where it makes sense to put it. And you can't really control, you know, what the window situation or whatever. And nobody wants to just work in a dark room either. You know, you want to let the light in. This is really cool. And instead of just being in true typical fashion, they've reinvented what this could be because this could be an actual cover. But what they've done is they've, uh, the nano texture is etched into the glass at the nanometer level. So that's really cool. I wonder if they could bring this to, you know, iPads, to iPhones, and what that would be like. Maybe this isn't good for touch surfaces, I don't know. But they're saying that this is better than your typical matte covering because it's going to get rid of the haze and sparkle that typically accompanies those. Anyways, I don't know, that's pretty cool. That's pretty interesting. And I'm glad that the iMac does have something that sets it apart, you know, from the rest of the Mac setup and lineup. Now I've been seeing people say that in terms of performance, this is actually a more pro iMac than the iMac Pro. So I guess that would be due to the 27 inch model offering up to 10 core Intel Core i9 processor, which means this should be pretty well suited to tasks like audio editing, you know, heavy duty music stuff. Um, compiling and testing code, that can be pretty intense. Oh good, it does, I'm scrolling down here, it does mention Final Cut Pro. Let me click on that, because that's what I'm most interested in. It's 40% faster for ProRes transcoding uh, than what? Than the previous generation eight-core iMac. That's a good jump, that's a meaningful jump. Oh, the memory is where things get interesting. So for major processing, the 27-inch, I'm really not interested in the 21-inch, can you tell? I haven't been mentioning it too much but the 27 inch can be configured up to 128 gigs of RAM. That's double the capacity of the previous gen. Uh, the graphics on the 27 inch, we have the AMD Radeon Pro 5000 series GPU with uh, 16 gigs of GDDR6. So, you know, for Fortnite, you could actually, Fortnite's one of the few Mac games that's actually pretty playable. One of the better, you know, more well-known titles is actually playable. And this is saying that it's 35% faster, the game performance on the 27 inch versus the eight core iMac that was the previous generation. Uh, so this is cool. We have all flash SSD storage now, so no more spinning parts. I've never liked those optical disk drives, even the Fusion drives, uh, and so I'm glad to see, because back when I had an iMac, it's been a few years. I've switched over to laptops almost completely, but it had a Fusion drive still, I think. And that had some, some uh, what's the opposite of a perk? It had some downfalls to it. But wow, you can get eight terabytes of internal SSD storage, which is cool. I think, isn't that what you can get on the 16-inch uh, MacBook Pros too? I don't know. I've got four in the one that you're seeing on the desk right here. And sometimes I'm already wishing that I had more with this multi-cam setup. And when the A7R 3 arrives, yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure I'm gonna wish I had upgraded, but but that is a lot of storage. Even for a video editor like me doing multi-cam stuff with 4K, 
really high quality 4K stuff. I could store a lot of projects on here. I mean a lot, even multicam projects with eight terabytes of space. It's also faster to access the content that's on your SSD versus like a spinny optical drive. So if you're just looking in practical terms, if you're looking at photos or videos, those are all just gonna load faster. Now here's, I think the big upgrade here. Mics, camera, action. I like uh, reading through Apple's website just for these headlines that somebody comes up with. They're always clever. But the big news, and I picked this up just by reading the news. I didn't go through all this before, but there's a 1080p FaceTime camera now, along with a new studio quality three mic array, which is great. The mics in Apple's devices have been getting a lot better. The mics on the iPad Pro are really great. They called it, uh, you know, studio quality or podcast quality. They're not quite as good as, you know, the mics that I would use here in the studio. They really aren't, but they are very good. So to see that they brought something better here is important. And the, the webcam is huge improvement. Now I popped over to The Verge, who's had this for a couple days to test, and I can see the difference is absolutely huge between the 720p camera that came before and this new one. A lot more professional, it makes a big difference. It's not 4K, but 1080 looks much better than 720. No doubt about it. So obviously this is targeting the work from home crowd and it's, you know, work from home is gonna be with us in a bigger way, I think, heading into the future, no matter what happens with, you know, this pandemic and if it ever has an end or whatever, a lot of people are gonna be working more from home now. That's just the way that it is. So you can do something like set up Camo, the app that I talked about recently on the channel that lets you use your iPhone as a webcam for your Mac and that would give you 1080p, you know, really good quality very professional, but it's kind of a, a hassle to have to put that on a tripod or set it up so that it doesn't look like you're looking way off to the side or something. Um, so to have it built in and have it 1080p and with this quality that I'm seeing, it's a really big deal. It really is. Even the MacBook Pro doesn't have this good of a camera. I assume that it's coming now. Once they brought it here, they gotta bring it to all the others. And that's something I'm gonna miss if there comes a MacBook Pro that has a better 1080p webcam and I'm still on this one, uh, then I will be a little bit jealous of it because it really does matter. So let's check out the port situation. It looks pretty standard. Four USB-A's, a Thunderbolt 3, two, two Thunderbolt 3 USB-C's, gigabit ethernet so you can connect in, get that wired, uh, uninterruptible internet connection. That's good. It does have a headphone jack still, but it's weird because it's around the back, you know? Plugging in headphones, these these headphones, these are like the only wired headphones that I wear. If you can't, if you're just listening, you don't see me. Uh, you know, I've gone all wireless for the most part, as much as I can. But for the studio stuff where I have to monitor the audio, that's the only time that I would use it. So maybe, you know, if I'm editing a video, I could use these kind of headphones to really get that flat, professional um, sound coming through so I can, you know, really make sure that it's top notch. I don't like having to plug into the back though, because that's gonna be a pain. That's one thing about the iMac design, you know, with everything on the back, you gotta turn it around a lot. And when you turn it around to plug things in, whether it's USB, headphones, that's when the fingerprints appear on the screen. And that starts driving us. It doesn't matter what Mac I get, I try to keep the fingerprints off the screen, but eventually they show up. Sometimes you know when you do it and you're kicking yourself. No, because it's never the same after that. It's never gonna be as clean, you know, once there's one fingerprint. If it's on the laptop, you know, how do you open that without getting a fingerprint on it eventually? You know, because sometimes you're gonna be in a hurry, you're not thinking about it. Ah, I just hate that. But on the iMac, that's a particularly annoying thing. So I wonder how that new nano coating, that, uh, that new matte finish is going to handle fingerprints because you wouldn't, this isn't a touchscreen thing. 
but the fingerprints do get there. So anyways, I would love to see uh, this hands-on. I don't know if I'll get a review unit or not, I asked, but you never know. Or I would love to see some reviews talking about that. That's one thing I'm very curious about. Oh, now this is very interesting. You can connect with up to two 6K displays, which includes the Apple Pro Display XDR. So they mean business with this. They wouldn't make it to connect to their top Pro Display uh, screen if this wasn't meant to, number one, if it wasn't powerful enough. I'm surprised it connected to without being the Pro model. This is pretty cool. So I'm trying to envision what that would actually look like on my desk. You got your iMac here and you know two Apple really high-end monitors on either side of it. It looks like it would look pretty good. They have shrunk the bezel on the bottom a little bit, that chin, that silver part over the years, but it's still there and it just doesn't look quite as good next to the Pro Display XDR in the picture that I'm seeing. The Pro Display XDR really, uh, it really shows you how big the bezels are still on the 27 inch iMac. That's very cool though, I'm glad to see that. Then of course you have to connect up some peripherals here. Uh, it probably comes with, I'm guessing, the Magic Keyboard and Magic Mouse 2 right in the box. Is that right? Or are these just options? Okay, Magic Mouse 2 and Magic Keyboard pair perfectly with the iMac and come included in the box. So that's okay, that's a good starting place. But let me just say, I have really started preferring all the Logitech gear over Apple's keyboards in particular. Uh, they really need to redesign their line of desktop keyboards. Things like a backlight can't be missing. Can you believe that it's still missing? Unless there's been a redesign that I don't know about recently, I can believe I spent so much money on the large version of the Magic Keyboard with the number pad and it didn't have backlit keys. That was like a huge disappointment for me. The Logitech MX Master Series, and they just came out with some new ones for Mac people specifically, and it's not just a matter of color. There's a few little tweaks in there that make it specific for your Mac. Um, the MX keys and the MX mouse for Mac are really great. So if you're wondering how can you upgrade your setup a little bit, that's the direction I would probably push you in. Okay, so the 27 inch, it starts at $17.99, but let's go to the buy page, fully max everything out, and then see what the actual price is. Okay, so if I come in here and select the top model is with the 3.8 gig, eight core processor with the Turbo Boost up to five gigahertz with the 512 gigabyte storage, and the Retina 5K display, we're looking at $22.99. I want that nano texture glass. That's an extra $500. Wow. Is it gonna be worth it? That's a lot. I just assumed that it was built in. That's an extra feature. So if we add that, that's 500. I can boost the processor for another 400. I can get up to 128 gigs of memory for an extra 2,600. Wow. Graphics, we can tweak that with, uh, up to $500 extra for the Radeon Pro 5700 XT with 16 gigs of GDDR6. This is getting expensive fast. And on the storage front, we can take it up another $2,400 for the eight terabytes. Oh, even the ethernet, they can get you with an upgrade. You can get gigabit ethernet or 10 gigabit ethernet. That's an extra $100. I'm gonna leave the Magic Mouse. Well, no, 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 this is about upgrading it to the Max. So if I get the Magic Mouse 2 plus the Magic Trackpad 2, I can get both, huh? Um, that's another 129 bucks. Keyboard is just the keyboard. Let's leave the software out of it. Wow, so we can go up to $8,928, not including tax. That's a spicy meatball. I mean, you could get a base level Mac Pro for less than that, of course, you gotta buy your screen separately 
uh, and it's really, I don't even know if that would be faster or more powerful than this right here. Hmm. So I don't know, if you're looking for some buying advice, would I buy this personally? I think the answer is I probably wouldn't. I've gotten really addicted to the 49 inch ultrawide from LG. I really like the ultrawide format. I have another secret monitor, which hasn't made an appearance yet that I've been testing from an undisclosed company, I guess I'll have to say, that's incredible for, for lots of reasons. And you have to factor in Apple Silicon coming up and portability, you know? Um, the iMac, I think it would make a really great family computer, maybe something that's parked at home in a common space for everybody to use. That's a good use for it, I think. Um, if you have the budget to have a, a desktop, a powerful desktop and, you know, some kind of a mobile setup, that could be doable. Um, and then there's the design factor. I, I both like and dislike this design at this point. Aesthetically, it's just old. And I understand they want to save the redesign for Apple Silicon, and that's cool. But that means that, you know, I probably wouldn't want to buy this. And of course, of course, if you need a computer and this fits the bill and you can't wait, then you get it and you enjoy it and you like it. And I could do that. But, you know, even if I was going to have an iPad Pro or a MacBook Pro and this, I don't know that I want this sitting on my desk, to be honest, the 27 inch. Now, the one exception would be if I paired it with those two uh, Pro Display XDRs. That would be really cool. Let's just be honest. Um, that would be great. But at that point, uh, you know, there are other um, 4K, 5K displays that you can get for cheaper um, that might work really well. And there's something to be said about, you know, one continuous monitor, like an ultra wide that doesn't have any bezels, whether they're big or small in between. It depends on the look that you're going for. Really aesthetically, this just looks old, but it, it is very powerful. You could get a lot done with it. Me as a video editor with these specs, you know, even with a multicam editing, like I said, I could really do a lot with this. So at the end of the day, I think that's what it comes down to. What can you do with it? And so I'm saying I could use it. I could make use of it and, and run my business and it'd be great. But when you factor in the aesthetics, that's where it breaks down for me. It's not that this is bad, but I would rather, I think, have a, a powerful laptop with an ultra wide setup. But that's just me. And that's what I have. I think let's wrap it up there for this week. Um, this is a different episode. I did only just a couple topics and really dove into those in more detail. Uh, let's see what you guys think about that. I don't know, it's still fun. We still hung out. We talked about Apple stuff, uh, daily tag stuff. So. Give me some feedback. Let me know what you thought. You know, it could be different from week to week because we're just playing around, switching things up, uh, finding out what works best for me, for you. Uh, but thanks for joining, whether this was, uh, you know, you're listening on audio, whether you caught a clip, whether you just watched the whole thing on YouTube. Um, it's always cool to connect. So uh, thanks. I'll catch you guys in the next video or tweet or whatever. Later. Welcome to the other party out of vibe. Well, you know we getting lit and come alive. And you know we got a light, so we gon' shine. And we talking to the fans, it's the time, yeah. Welcome to the other party out of vibe. Well, you know we getting lit and come alive. And you know we got a light, so we gon' shine. And we talking to the fans, it's the time, yeah. Since all 12 are giving you the heat The reviews from Chris you gotta see Daily Tech got the facts that you need 
And it's a whole crew you gotta meet After party it's the place you gotta be And you can't really beat it cause it's free Trying to give you unbiased critiques Quality you should take it from me Cause we care about our customers Pull up a seat, got a whole team Giving you the best and do it by any means Brand new Mac and know it's looking clean It's the after party, live from the models Wanna cop some, shouldn't be a doubt about it Looking for great reviews, then you found it Connecting with the fans, hope you get a lot out of it yeah. Welcome to the other party, out of vibe When you know we getting lit and come alive And you know we got a light so we gon' shine And we talking to the fans, it's the time, yeah Welcome to the other party, out of vibe Where you know we getting lit and come alive And you know we got a light so we gon' shine And we talking to the fans, it's the time, yeah